Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 251 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined by one of my bestest friends on this earth. It is, of course, the former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how are you doing, my man? I'm good, man. How are you? Always good when speaking to you. Obviously, like I say, you're on the intro every week. You're the last voice that the listeners hear before I come in, and that's the way um, it should be. I wouldn't have it any other way. But let's get into the review part. I'm going to dive into this here. I'm going to start with a card that took place at the BT Sports Studio in Stratford, London, um, on Friday, the the 31st of July, of course. Um, a, de- a decent card. A uh, couple decent fights. Um, a good win for, again, I'm really saying this guy's name wrong, um, but I'm just going to pronounce it wrong once again. It's, it's, it's bad on my part, but a guy called Kaimin... Agyako now seven and zero, a TKO for him in nine rounds against Jez Smith, who's now eleven and two with a draw. Smith was down three times in the fight. Um, it was a bit of a step up really for Agyako, so a good win for him. Certainly um, excited to see his next few fights. Also on the bill, the main event: Lyndon Arthur defended successfully his Commonwealth light heavyweight title. He's now seventeen and zero, a win for him against Dex Spellman, who's now sixteen and four. Unanimous win there, over 12 rounds for Lyndon Arthur. Um, Dex Spellman, you know, quite a limited fighter. He gave it his all. He's got tons and tons of heart. Um, but, you know, he he just wasn't good enough, really. Lyndon Arthur had a lot more to his game, the much crisper boxer of the two. And they're lining up Lyndon Arthur to take on Anthony Yard based on that and, and previous stuff that I've seen of Lyndon Arthur. I don't think that's... Uh, that's a good matchup for Lyndon Arthur. I think Anthony Yard wins that fight quite easily. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to frown at it. It's an all-British affair between two, you know, I was going to say unbeaten fighters. Obviously, Anthony Yard's got that loss to Kovalev. But it's a good fight domestically um, in, in you know, in Frank Warren's stable. But, yeah, Lyndon Arthur, you know, he didn't get Dex Spellman out of there or anything like that. I think Anthony Yard would get Dex Spellman out of there quite quickly. Uh, I know that doesn't mean everything, but for me, Anthony Yard's a couple levels above Lyndon Arthur. But moving out now to the Workpoint Studio in Thailand. One fight to mention over here. It was shown on the Matchroom YouTube channel. I didn't tune in. didn't see it at all. But with Saxel Wangek, also known as um, Saw Rungvasai, he's now 48-5 and with a draw. A unanimous decision win for him over 10 rounds against Amnat Ruanrong, who's, who's now 20-4. and four. Uh, moving out now to the Matram Fight Camp in Brentwood, Essex. Of course, this was um, Eddie Hearn's first show he's promoted since the pandemic. 
Um, I'm going to start with the undercard. It was a decent card, actually, top to bottom, to be honest with you. But I'm going to start here with Dalton Smith. He moved to 6-0, a KO for him against uh, Nathan Bennett over five rounds. Bennett now 9-2. Fabio Wardley moved to 9-0, a win for him. Um, a third-round TKO win against Simon Valili. Simon Valili now 17-3 with a draw. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, Quite a bad performance, really, from Simon Verlilli. Um Yeah, quite disappointing from him. A good win, though, for Fabio Wardley. Like I say, 9-0. That one was for the vacant English heavyweight title. So he's now the English champion, Wardley. Of course, managed by Dillian White. Also on the bill, Jordan Gill against Reese Bellotti. That was actually the, you know, the fight that opened up the card. Um, it was a fight where I kind of felt like Jordan Gill would probably be the winner in the end, and that was right. You know, he won a he won a points win over ten rounds unanimously against Bellotti, who's now fourteen and four. Jordan Gill twenty five and one. Um, it didn't really catch fire. It was it was a fight that on paper I was really looking forward to it, but it didn't really catch light. To be honest with you, it wasn't really the fight I expected it would be. Um, it wasn't the most entertaining fight. James Tennyson picked up another win, a TKO for him in six rounds against Gavin Gwynn. Um, James Tennyson, now the the new British lightweight champion. The the belt was vacant at the time um, of of the fight. Gwyn was down from a right hook prior to the stoppage. A good win there for Tennyson. Um, pleased to see him pick up a British title there. Um, I think he's I think he's already been British champion before. Could be wrong. And the main event, of course, Sam Eggington, um, twenty eight and seven. Now he lost unanimously over twelve rounds to Ted Cheeseman, who's now sixteen and two with a draw. That one was for the IBF International Super Welterweight title. Absolute humdinger of a, of, of a fight there. Um, definitely one of the best fights we're going to see in 2020, especially with the pandemic. But even that aside, an absolute war. Um, both men hurt each other multiple times in the fight. Unbelievably, no you know, no knockdowns were recorded in the fight. Um, Sam Eggington, I actually fought and I've got to be honest, I wanted him to win the fight. He's a friend of the show, Sam Eggington. I expected Ted Cheeseman to get him out of there, but... Um, credit to Sam Eggington, such a tough guy. Like I say, he actually had Ted Cheeseman hurt numerous times in the fight, and I've, I don't think I've ever seen that happen. Ted Cheeseman's a tough guy. I just felt like Sam Eggington had more miles on the clock going in. But um, yeah, a real tear up there. Brilliant, brilliant fight. Good win for Ted Cheeseman, but having said that, it was the type of fight that I think would take... Um, Quite, you know, quite a few fights off of his career, if you like, you know. It was, uh, it wasn't an unscathed victory, and Sam Eggington left very disappointed. It was a real close fight, you know. I think Eggington felt he won it. Ted Cheeseman felt he won it. Hasn't really been lucky with his decisions, um, Ted Cheeseman, you know. I think it had been almost two years since his last win. He'd had a, obviously, um, a controversial loss and a controversial draw. Um, but yeah, all the best to both guys there. I want to see Ted Cheeseman in a good fight next. And Sam Eggington, I'd like to see him straight back in a big fight rather than drop down in level. Moving out now to the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, USA. This one was on Showtime. Um, interestingly enough, Stephen Fulton test positive for coronavirus. So, of course, he was off the main event. He was in place there to fight for the vacant WBO World Super Bantamweight title. But coronavirus kept him out of the fight. Instead, the chief support 
um, fight between Race Aleem, I think his name is, and Tremaine Williams. Tremaine Williams um, was was elevated into the main event against Angelo Leo. So poor Angelo Leo. Um, on fight week, finds out he's you know he's, he's not fighting Stephen Fulton Jr. He's now fighting a, a southpaw, a slick, skillful southpaw in Tremaine Williams. And Tremaine Williams was the big favourite based on that factor. Obviously, Tremaine Williams was 19 and 0. So was Angelo Leo, the Mayweather promotions prospect. Um, like I say, it was still for the vacant WBO World Super Bantamweight title. Tremaine Williams started to fight really well. He probably won the first two or three rounds quite easily, and then I'm not quite sure what happened it all just seemed to go terribly wrong for him and he pretty much lost every round after that it was a complete landslide in the end for Angelo Leo so he's now 20 and 0 and he wins another belt there for the Mayweather promotion stable he's now the new WBO World Super Bantamweight Champion, 20-0, and 0, and a very disappointing performance in the end for Tremaine Williams. I'm not quite sure he'll get a chance like that again. You know, it was really um, a big chance for him there. So he's 19-1, and 1, friend of the show, the mighty midget. I wish him all the best. Also on the card, Ray Salim did fight. Um, he's now 17-0. and 0. He had a rematch with a former opponent of his, Marcus Bates. Marcus Bates wanted to try and avenge that loss, but he was TKO'd in 10 rounds. Marcus Bates now 11-2 and 2 with a draw. Reece Aleem 17-0. Um, that's it for the review part. Let's talk about the pre... Oh, sorry, no. There's one other card to mention. Um, this one took place on Tuesday, the 4th of August. So just two days ago, it took place in Belarus. It was an Al Siesta Promotions card. We had Ishmael Ilyev, 12-2 um, and two with a draw. He took on our very own Asinia Byfield, 14-2. and two. Um, In the end, quite wide on the cards for Ishmael Ilyev. Haven't seen the fight, but um, yeah, if he's beaten the likes of Asinia Byfield and it's not not controversial. I'm not quite sure if it was. I'm, I don't know. I haven't seen the fight, but that's a good win because Asinia Byfield's a real good fighter. So a 10-round points win there unanimously for Ishmael Ilayev. And also on that card, a heavyweight by the name of Zan Kosobutsky, who is... 14 and 0 now I think with 13 KOs um, he was able to stop the very game and tough Camille Sokolowski obviously a journeyman but tough as hell Sokolowski you know been in there with the likes of Dillian White um, he had a exhibition fight against Huey Fury um, which I actually watched from ringside. Camille Sokolowski, real tough guy. He boxed Lucas Brown, had Lucas Br- Brown down in that fight. Um, Sokolowski is, as well has knocked out a couple of, of um, prospects and stuff like that. He's now 9-18 and 18 with two draws. I think that's only the first, or the third, I should say, the third time he's been stopped. So that's a big, big statement there from Zan Kosobutsky, 14-0. and 0. Um, Moving on. On to the preview part now, like I say, going to start here tomorrow night at the Matram Fight Camp once again, week two um, in Eddie Hearn's back garden. Um, not as good as a card as the first one, I don't think, but we're going to talk about this here. Anthony Fowler, 12-1, and one. he's in a 10-rounder against Adam Harper, who's 9-1. and one. Um, all the best to Anthony Fowler in that one. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this now. I've been taking the Supreme CBD that he, um, that he promotes and pushes, and uh, 
yeah, Anthony Fowler's in my good books at the minute. All the best to him, friend of the show. We also get to see a great fight at, at the cruiserweight division for the Commonwealth cruiserweight title between Chris Billum-Smith, who's 10-1. and 1. He takes on Nathan Forley, who's 14-0. and 0. That one's over 12 rounds. And then for the WBC and IBO World Female Super Featherweight titles, we get to see the undefeated Terry Harper take on... Um, Natasha Jonas, who's 9-1, and one. so that's over 10 two-minute rounds. All the best to both the ladies there. Moving out to Spain, this one takes place on Saturday at the Plaza de Torros de Puerto Banus in Marbella, Andalusia. Um, we get to see Carmen Leharaga, 30-2. and two. We know him very well, of course, for boxing, the likes of Frankie Gavin, Bradley Skeet, um, it's not Sam Eggington, no. Um, who beat him? Um, gosh, David Avenesian. Yeah, he's now 30 and 2. He takes on our very own Tyrone Nurse, 37 and 6 with two draws over 10 rounds. That one there, no belt on the line. If it was a few years ago, I'd definitely favor Tyrone Nurse, to be honest with you. But I think at this point of his career, he's, he's very much on the slide. Um, so I expect probably Kerman Leharaga to get the win there. And next Wednesday, again, the show won't be out by this time. Um, but, but, you know, by, by the time we bring out next week's show. So I've got to mention this. I've got to preview this. Um, we will get to see at the Production Park Studios in Yorkshire, United Kingdom. It's an MTK show. Um, friend of the show, John O'Carroll, tops the bill. Former world title challenger, of course. His sole loss comes to Tevin Farmer. 18-1 and one with a draw. He's in a 10-rounder against Maxie Hughes. 20-5 and five with two draws. Um, should be a decent fight, but John O'Carroll, in my eyes couple levels above Maxi Hughes, really. Um, so I'm expecting John O'Carroll to, to win that one without much trouble. Um, that's it, though, for the preview part. Just checking if there's any news. Um, really doing this live, to be completely honest with you. Um, no, no real news. So, uh, yeah, that's that's it. I like it when there's not much news, so we can just fly straight into what we've got to get into and that is Eddie's Lockdown Knockdown segment. Here we are. We've been building up to this moment here. We've spoke about the early parts of your career, Eddie. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. some of the guys that we've mentioned, there's there's been brilliant stories behind all these fights, all these training camps. But some of the guys, um, some of our listeners wouldn't have been familiar with. This time, very much, very much they'll be familiar with this guy, of course. Alexander Povetkin was your next fight, but... Where does it where does it start, Eddie? I'm going to throw it down to you now. This is edition five or something like that. Take it away, Eddie. All right. Uh, this one is going to start really right after the Calvin Brock win. And actually, during the preparation, we talked a little bit about you know the tournament. And you know, I've talked to the guy to you, uh, Joey, and, and the listeners about um, the idea of the four man tournament. You know, it was me, Calvin, Chris. Chris Bird and Povetkin. And, you know, the, the, the general consensus is that they really wanted to see the two guys who obviously had never faced Vladimir because, of course, Chris Bird at that point had fought Vladimir and Calvin Brock had just lost him, you know, the last time he was in a world title fight, which was his first time. So they kind of didn't want to see that again. You know what I mean? They wanted to give uh, some, I guess, get fresh faces in there with him and maybe, a, you know, another guy in there who could actually beat him. You know what I mean? Be it the American or the Russian. So they had spoke about the date 
And, you know, they said, I, I think at one point they were saying that there was a negotiation of whether we can use that date or push it back. And initially, initially so we thought that, um, oh, yeah, well, we're going to be going into camp, you know, around uh, sometime in December, maybe a little earlier, depending on what's going on. Early December was, was what we were talking about. And, but the fight was actually January 26th, and we also knew we were fighting in Germany. This is my first time fighting in Germany, so we knew that we would have to get started. We should be getting started earlier. But the thing was, I had had just fought Calvin Brock on November 2nd, and generally after the fight, you know, you get a little bit of a break. You don't want to you don't want to go right back into camp. Although we, for the most part, we're always training. Like you know, that's what we do. We just go to the gym every day. But um, for this particular situation, it was like we just wanted to kind of rest and kind of recover because we had that. It was a rough camp. We spent what eight, at least eight weeks in, and of course, even before that, we were training anyway. So it was just like a big, you know, a whole lot of a whole lot of work. And then I think, I think, you know what? Now that I think about it, I think that the Calvin Brock fight, you know what? That's what it was. The Calvin Brock fight was actually supposed to be. I want to say a month or so earlier, maybe maybe four to six weeks earlier. I forgot about that. And um, so what they did was they ended up pushing it back to November 2nd because it wasn't supposed to be November originally. Because I fought um, Dominic Gwynn, I want to say, what was that? That was May 4th, right? And so our fight with me and Calvin's fight was supposed to be set for September. I think it was either September or October early October into September type thing, right? But then they pushed that back and gave us a November 2nd date. So we figured that, okay, since that happened, then they're also going to push back the fight with Povetkin if we were to win or once we won, right? So, you know, we start, you know, training, but we were taking our time, you know, and it was maybe in the middle of the month. We didn't really even have, you know, a camp situation set yet because we were planning to go to Florida because we wanted to go to Florida you know, at you know, because of course, it's, at this time it was the winter time in um, in where I'm from in Jersey. So we were thinking about going down to a hotter climate. You know, get the heat, and you you have nice weather. You know what I mean? And, and just being able to completely train with no issue issues. You know what I mean? With the snow, you never know. You might not be able to go outside at certain times. You you know, slip on ice and things like that. So we didn't want anything to get in the way of the training. So we were going to go to Florida. Come to find out, they weren't bending on the date of. January 26th and at this time it had already been you know maybe it was over a month so we were still kind of like trying to negotiate that and it just never happened so we're talking about we were close to Christmas and we haven't even gone to camp yet we were talking about maybe the second week the end of the second week of December you understand what I'm saying so we were planning on going to camp and it's like wait a minute this fight is literally next month we're talking about maybe a week, a month and a week of training and not less than that because we got to take eight days because we wanted to get over there early so we can get acclimated to, you know, the time change and just just things in general and, and whatever we're going to be eating. We want to have time to do all those things. So really, we only had four, a little less than four weeks to prepare and they weren't changing the date for nothing. That was the date that they scheduled and those guys wanted to keep it that way. I guess they figured. You know, us trying to negotiate changing the date, there must have been something wrong with our camp and we weren't able to properly train. So the smart thing was, you know what I mean, get them in here at this time so we can make sure that, you know, he's either he's either going to be ready or he's not. 
and from and, and the way things sound, he's not going to have enough time to properly train. You know what I mean? So, but what we did was we ended up having to try to rush to Florida because we wanted to work with Buddy once again because we had you know good you know good time last time. It worked out perfect when we did it before, so we felt that you know with the Gwen fight and all, and then also with the previous camp that we had down there, and we also wanted to see if Buddy you know would help us out with, you know, scheduling things and then also being a part of the camp in general, you know, with information because, you know, Buddy's a Hall of Fame fighter as well as a trainer. So we wanted to kind of have that information in our corner. And, uh, but by the time we got down there, and, and this is what happened. Another issue came about. Now, at this time, we were still training, but we weren't really prepared. We weren't really like, you know, when you have a camp set up, when, you, when you're getting ready for a major fight, you have your sparring partners, you have your training schedule, you have, you know, your 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 uh, your team all around you, and, and your sleep schedule. Everything is scheduled. Everything is perfect. It should be, or at least, or at least you work it as per- as perfectly as you possibly can. We were just training like normal, you know what I mean? Because we weren't in camp mode yet, so we were like, okay, well, you know, we just got to push it back, you know, a little bit. But we've been training, so we're kind of in shape. We just got to get right to work. Well, we were initially supposed to leave before Christmas, something happened with our flight when we got to uh, the airport and ended up having to make, we ended up having to push it back and then we couldn't leave till after the first. So that's another almost, that's another whole week of camp that we missed. So by the time we actually get to Florida to get to our camp, it was, I want to say January 2nd was when we got there and obviously you can't jump right into the gym right when you get off the plane. So, and I can't remember what day or what time of day it was or not. I'm not, I'm not familiar with, I can't really remember, but when we got into, we got in there, we just had to set everything up. Smart partners and everything were, 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 uh, were coming and they came, you know, within, you know, that day or so. So all of that stuff was there. So we, now remember I said the fight was January 26th. We had got to camp. January 2nd we had started camp probably January 3rd now we have 23 days of camp to prepare now most guys when you're training for a high level fight like that a guy like a Pavekin this was this was Pavekin before he had you know where he is where he is now and with his name and all of that even though he had a great amateur career at the time and he had just beat Chris Bird he still wasn't you know, he was still fresh and, and, and not really known by a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of these, a lot of the people out there now. But they, you know, they knew his background. They knew he knew he was pretty good. But when you're getting prepared for a fighter like that and you only have 23 days to train, you must have or either you had to have already had been in camp for 10 weeks and or something like that. Or you had already been training hard and sparring perfect and all of those things for weeks before you got into camp or you're screwed. And in this case, we weren't doing that because we had assumed that we would be able to push the time back. You know what I mean? But they wouldn't budge them. So we're now in a in a position where we have to not only try to get things, we, we, we have to not only get to camp as soon as we can, but we have to rush camp. We have to like literally rush levels. That's like going to bed at two in the morning and trying to rush yourself into the perfect, the perfect time for your, you know, to like to go through the proper levels of sleep and then wake up at six. This is not going to happen. It's a natural progression. You know what I'm saying? Like with sleep and and with all those things, you have to allow it 
to progress over time. You have to train properly over the course of, you know, six to eight weeks at least. And we really just didn't have the time to do it. So what we had to do is we had to, we had to rush things. So I'm literally training. Now, this was the first time. This was before Peter. You know what I mean? And, you know, we kind of had these things where we would train, you know, multiple times in a day, maybe three times a day and things like that. But this time we actually had to perform those things and not only do three times a day, we had to do three times a day almost every day of the week because we only had two full weeks to train. We had 17 days to train. 17, maybe, no, 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 I'm sorry. Maybe 14 days to train. That is two weeks. Now, you can do a good amount in two weeks. Don't get me wrong. You can get yourself into a certain, but like I told you before, like we talked about before, there's certain natural progressions that you have to have through your camp. You can't be in camp in the, the first week and then all of a sudden next week you're in, in mid in, in, in mid camp flow basically, or no, in, in the camp flow where you're basically like smacking around your, your sparring partners because you're so sharp, you're dropping guys, you're sending people home because they can't deal with it, that kind of thing, or people can't keep up with you in, in, in the running and all of those things that happen over the course of camp. You can, that can't, that won't happen within one week. That takes time. It takes weeks. You know what I mean? Sometimes it takes, maybe you'll have a sparring partner and it just got your number that first week. You know what I mean? But over time, sparring with them and learning things and working and getting in better shape and getting better focus, you know what I mean? You'll start to turn the tables a bit. You know, maybe there's multiple sparring partners that you're struggling with. Whatever the case may be, you'll have a chance over over the course of camp to, to get to a certain level. But because we had such a short period, we had to get there faster, like at the snap of a finger, like we had to be on point right away. So with, and I, and I, and I, once again, I had Tony Thompson in camp with me as well as um, one of the, one of the guys I, one of the guys I previously fought because we, because he was so tough. We brought Dominic Jenkins in the camp, which was one of the guys I actually, I fought him from an audition fight. We talked about, uh, you know, a year or so, or two years or so before. Maybe not even that long. Obviously, it might have been less than a year before. I can't, I can't remember. But anyway, and we had a few other guys that were there that was from Florida, and they, they were good sparring partners, right? But even with all that, it's like I still had too much of a workload. You can overdo things in a short period of time. So you can be, like, under-trained or, you know, you could be, like, under-prepared to a degree and then say, okay, well, I got to pack all of this in to a matter of two weeks. And then you can overtrain your body for that short period of time. And what will happen is all of the work you put in will be for almost for nothing when the actual time to perform comes in. So, you know, we're training. And the first week, which I'm already in okay shape. I'm not in terrible shape. I'm not bad shape or anything like that. But I'm in okay shape, you know, because we're always working out. We're always doing something. But I haven't been doing, you know, it at the level of intensity that we need. So when I get down there, I'm sparring. And I'm doing well in sparring. But it wasn't like... You know, I'm knocking nobody's socks off. I'm not doing anything crazy. But we're having to spar. Like, with first, I think the first day we spar, we had to do a 10-round. Now, when you first come to camp, there's another thing, you know, a lot of people, I don't know if a lot of people know about the uh, insides of camp, but when you first come to camp, you want to have a day where it's like you're just kind of getting acclimated. You want to get to know some of the spar partners. Maybe go six rounds, maybe six to eight rounds at the most. You know what I mean? A lot of times guys will just spar four 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 to eight, four to six rounds at you know you know at, at the most so what um 
And what we did, we couldn't do that. So we had to spar 10 rounds the first day because we're already behind the schedule. You know what I mean? So I'm sparring 10 rounds right off the rip, sparring 10 rounds with with two with three and four guys. You know what I mean? With two at this at the the first day, yeah, I think we did. I think we had four guys. And and I and I was sparring, you know, you know, one guy if he's a little bit better or a little bit more, you know, a little more like the guy I'm gonna fight or whatever, he would probably get the, the bulk of the rounds. Or he'll, you know, or you would split it up evenly for, you know, with 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 all the with, with all the guys. But the reality of it is, I'm just getting the camp. So even though I can do it, it's still not great. You know what I mean? And I think I sparred a ten, and the next day was, and not, no, 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 not not two days later. The next day was a twelve round day, right? So we had to do that. Then we then we took a day off, which was the middle of the week, which I think was Wednesday or something like that. Then we did Thursday. I think a 12 or no, we might've did a 15 or something crazy like that. We might've did, we might've just did 12. I don't think we did 15 in this camp. But I think we did another 12 round day of sparring. And this, and that day, which was, I think Thursday was actually a really pretty good day considering, you know, where I was at. And I started to show promise and, you know, buddy and everybody was kind of high on it. It was like, well, maybe you'll be all right. You know what I mean? We'll be okay with, with what we, with the time we have if you keep performing like this, but your body can only take so much. And remember I'm going and I'm doing, I'm doing three a days. I'm, tr- I'm lifting in the morning along with some, um, along with some conditioning. And then I'm going to complete conditioning, like running on, on the beach and sand and running hills and, doing all these different things like that. And then I'm going and sparring 12 rounds in the evening. You know what I mean? So it's like, and then remember we're in the hot sun, even though it was a winter time where in Florida, it's, it's pretty warm down there. So it's, so it's like you trying to get your body acclimated, but it's just not responding hundred percent. So it's getting better, but it's like, ah, I'm doing too much. And your body starts to you know negatively respond. You know what I mean? So the third day was okay. It was good. It was, it was actually the best day. But then the next day was somewhat subpar. And I sparred again on Friday, and we, I think we did a 10. And he's like, all right, well, you know, we'll give you, the, give you the weekend. I mean, we're going to come in on Saturday. You're going to train a few times, but you're not going to spar until next Monday. Said, all right, cool. We go in and spar on the next Monday, and sparring was, once again, it was it was, it was was okay-ish, but it was kind of subpar. You wouldn't want that. You know what I mean? And I think that was another 10-round day. Then we go into our 12-round day the next day. Wasn't good. You know what I mean? I should have been like, slapping guys around and really been in control, but it just wasn't, you know, I just wasn't where I wanted to be. You know, I didn't, I didn't feel good. You know, I started to feel kind of weak, you know, you feel tired and you're know, just doing so much. And it's like, but you can't stop. You got to keep going. So then, you know, we get our Wednesday off again, like we did last time. And then we, 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 uh, we went back in on Thursday and Thursday was bad, was bad. You know I mean? I, I didn't, it wasn't, like I was getting hurt or slapped around. It was just, I didn't have enough energy. It wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't into it as much as I could have been. Cause I really couldn't physically do it like I wanted to, you know? And, and it was like, damn, you know, what is happening to me? Like, it's only two, it's not even full. It's not even a full two weeks in and I'm already like feeling tired. Like what is going on? And at the time, you know, I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand what it was. So I'm, you know, we're just, I, I guess I got to keep training. I got to train harder. So then they come in again, same schedule, three times, three times again, had that same schedule early when we lift in and then doing the conditioning and all of that stuff throughout the day. And then coming to spar 12 rounds. And that last day, Buddy was like, you know, like, I think I got to like the eighth or ninth round and Buddy just stopped the spar because I had no energy. I was, it was uninspired. 
Like I just looked like I was really lethargic and, and I don't want to say lazy because it wasn't trying to be lazy, but your body just won't react. And he was just like, man, look, man, just tie a bow on it, man. Work is, work is in as much as it can be at this point. You, the only thing that's going to happen is you're going to take more off of yourself. So, you know what I mean? What we do is we're going to just like button up the sparring and just, you know, when we get over to, to Germany, which, cause I think we were leaving in what, two days after that or something like that or a day or so, we'll just go and we'll do some more training while we're there. You know what I mean? So, and I remember even talking to Tony, he's like, man, you just really didn't have a lot of time, man. You're supposed to be like laying us out, beating us down in camp. And like, you just, you know, it's just not enough time, man. Like, he, you, you think that they'll postpone it? Like, yeah, we tried, we tried to get them to postpone it before, and they just, they weren't with it. So we got to do what we got to do. And he's like, I understand, man, but it's not, it might not be the best look for you if you're, you know, depending on how you were feeling today. Because he was talking about the sparring, like it just doesn't look. You're not in the position. You're not in the. You're not the way that you normally would be at this stage. You know what I'm saying? And he was like, yeah, I don't know. You know what I mean? Just you know, give do what you can. You got the skills, but not sure. You know what I mean? I can't say, you know, 100% what's going to happen if you're, in, if you're not able to completely feel as good as you need to feel on fight night, you know? So anyway, we, we get on a plane, we fly out. And so when I get there, it's just like, I mean, when you, when you get to the fight, you know, when you get to wherever you're going to fight or whatever you're going to do, you, you're generally just there and you might shake out, you might hit the pads a little bit, you, you know, move around the ring, work, work out really light, not do much. Man, I'm, I'm over in Germany with, a, with seven days to my fight, doing two-a-days. There wasn't no sparring, so, you know, I couldn't spar, but I was doing two-a-days. Like, I was literally going to the, to, the, to the exercise rooms in the morning and doing 30, like 45 minutes to an hour of conditioning. I would jump, I would, then I was going into the pool on certain days, like twice a week, and swimming for about that amount of time, conditioning. You know what I'm saying? And I was, and, I, and I'm just thinking, man, I got to be in shape. You know, I got to keep going. I got to keep going because we're trying to get every second of extra work that we could in to be as properly prepared as possible. And what was happening over the course of this time, Pavekin people were staying obviously in the same hotel, right? And they had people, not necessarily, I wouldn't say spying necessarily, but maybe, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, I would be down there and I'd be in there working. I'd be on the bikes. I'd be on the ellipticals. I'd be doing all of this. I'd be in there 45 minutes drenched in sweat, like really, really like working my tail off. Right. And I remember at the press, at the first press conference, one of the guys, you know, and they're speaking German. And they're talking to the press and, and they were asking, you know, what do you, you know, certain people are saying, oh, well, he's never, he doesn't look like, you know, well, no, they weren't saying that. He, he, he was just talking to them and I forget what they asked him. And it was like, you know, people were saying that Eddie Chambers generally isn't really, looks like he's not really in that good of shape, but I saw him working out and this guy's working out hard in, you know, and he's already, you know, in while, while the, while the fight's close. And I just, I see him and he looks like he's, he's really ready for this fight. And I'm sitting there thinking like, damn, these guys have been watching. They're coming to the, cause I've seen this guy several times. They come into the pool. They're coming into the exercise room. And I mean, he's sitting on the bikes and, you know, acting like he's working out when really he's watching me work. <laughs> and it's like, they're thinking one of two things. And he could, of course he says that because he wants to make me look better. So if, if Povekin wins, oh, he'd be the, 
a real good Eddie Chambers or or whatever, so it makes him look better. But the reality of it is, they probably thinking, well, this dude was struggling in camp to you know to to be ready on time, so he's still basically in camp right now and going crazy over here, so he can be and show up somewhat decent. You know what I'm saying? So we go a little further now. We're doing all these you know these these pictures and you know, signing things at this point. Because in Germany, it's, you know, obviously boxing huge over, over overseas and, and Germany is no exception. And and the place we were, which is in Berlin, Germany, um, we, you know, they had, they had a lot of press. They had a lot of people that were, in, you know, interested in the fight. You know, everybody loves Povekin Pavec, uh, over there. You know, he's Russian. He was adopted by them. They're, they're um, you know, there. You know what I mean? So, and he was with, not Universal. What was his, what was his, uh, his I can't remember who his um his team was. Damn it, I can't remember but but anyway, they're they're uh they were all he's with I, I don't know who he was with back then, but I know now he's with like a, a promotional team called World of Boxing. Was it the same back then? Nah, nah, nah. It was it was somebody else and I can't remember. I, it, oh, Sourland. Oh okay. There you go. Sour Sourland. That's who he was with. And they, you know, that I think a German, if I'm not mistaken, company or whatever. Yeah. And they had brought him over and he was like a house. Yeah. He was a house fighter over there. He was fighting. So I remember, um, you know, we were, you know, going to different, uh, uh, this, just a bunch of different places and, and, and talking to different people and signing autographs, taking pictures. Like I got so many pictures that we took there. Plus we already had our own photo, uh, our own, uh, uh, photo guy. And he was taking like video, you know, photo, uh, uh, still pictures, but he was also taking video and all kind of different things uh, that he, you know, he was doing. And it was just a nice, it was a good, it was a good thing. We got, a, we got a lot of, a lot of good, um, a lot of good pictures, a lot of good video, a lot of good content from, from that fight and just the pre-fight thing and everything. It was just, it was a really good situation. The only bad part is I don't think I was properly ready because <laughs> there would have been so much better if I would have had completely been, everything would have been just perfect. Like if I was in, you know, in, in shape, like and felt as good as I did with uh, Dominic Gwynn or even Calvin Brock the fight would have been totally different in my opinion. I mean, it started out well, but it would have been even better. But, um, but anyway, so, you know, go through all of these different things and, you know, I, I just couldn't, I couldn't help but to think about how I'm going to feel the night of the fight. Because I had been doing so much over those last three weeks, trying to pack all of that into a short period of time, that I didn't really know if I was going to be, you know, like what was what was what was going to show up. And then the sparring didn't look good and didn't feel good at the end. So it's like, how do we how do we know what's going to happen? So all we did we we looked at him and we looked at his level of skill. And don't get me wrong, he is skilled, but you know, we looked at me and what I can do and me as a fighter and. You know, it just matched up into into us. You know, what what I can do, he just wasn't close. You know what I'm saying? We just didn't think that. But he had the experience, and he got all this. So we got to make sure that we're on point. Plus, we're fighting in Germany, his home his hometown, basically right now. Even though he's Russian, we still gotta. You know, we gotta we gotta make sure that we put him out of there and destroy him. And I'm just sitting there thinking, and I'm I'm wondering, like, yeah, you know, we can try to destroy him and all that, but. I got to make sure that I feel good come fight, you know, come fight night. So anyway, we're in the dressing room, go to the dressing room, we get to that point where, you know, I'm nervous, obviously, like always, you know, but at this point, you know, I, I felt a little better 
you know, about things. You know, of course, the closer you get to the fight, the more it becomes, you know, hey, it's just business as usual. You know, this is uh, it's a big fight. It's important. But, you know, I've been doing this all my life, so I should be fine. And I remember sitting in the dressing room and once again of, you know, how we talked about before about me being so, you know, what what am my body going to, is my body going to look like? And am I going to, am I in shape and, and things like that? And I remember seeing some of the pictures and I'm looking at it and I'm like, yo, damn, that just didn't look good. I remember sitting there like with a shirt, like, like sitting down and looking at my stomach and different parts of my, don't get me wrong. I wasn't like, you know, I don't, you know, disrespect to Andy Ruiz because he's, a, you know, he, he did more than me basically when you, when you look at as far as titles are concerned, but I didn't look as big as he, as he did. However, my, my, uh, I didn't look good. I didn't look swell. I didn't look sh- like strong or, you know, cut or anything like you would think a, a guy fighting in a, a fight, you know, like this would be, I didn't even look as good as I've looked in some of my previous fights. So it was a worry. And I, and I got on the scale at the weigh-in and I weighed 219 and 219 for me is four or five pounds a little heavier than I wanted to be. And I wanted to be even a little lighter than that, to be honest, especially when we we're only fighting a guy that was 227. So, you know, I could have been, you know, like 209, 208 and would have been completely, I would have been good. And I would have felt good. I would have been in the fight the whole time. So, you know, we, I'm a little worried about that. And I'm thinking, but hey, I've been chubby before or whatever. You know, what I mean, that's just that's been kind of my MO anyway for most of my career. Maybe it's just because my body type, you know, you use that body type excuse all the time, which really is not a good one. But um, so, you know, we get into the fight. And the first thing that I noticed about in the fight was that he's not going to back off. Like, he's not going to make this easy. You know, this guy was coming to fight. Like, he wasn't – and I'm not saying he wasn't trying to take a backward step, but I, I, which he really, really wasn't. I mean, the European style is to kind of pull back a little bit to get you to – Get you to get you to come in and be aggressive, and then for them to attack. But the reality of it is, he just wanted to pressure me, and really wanted to see what my conditioning was. And I kind of now, kind of you know, looking back on it, kind of seen it. And I mean, he and he actually thought before the fight, and this is what they said in the uh, you know in the uh, post-fight press conference and all, that he thought I was going to be moving a lot. I in all the fights I've had before that, I've never moved a lot not even in fights where I'm severely undersized and the guys, you know, are stronger or seem stronger than me. You know, I've never done that. I've always been right in your face, but for whatever reason, they thought I was going to move. So me standing and maybe they didn't really study enough of my fights, but anyway, but what surprised them. So they said is that I stood right there and was in punching range and looking to punch and looking to, and looking to defend there and fire back. And they said it surprised them. Because he didn't expect me to be able to do that at at range, you know what I mean, right in front of him and make him miss and make him pay. But even though, like, I realized that he was going to be aggressive and he was going to be right there, he still was an easy target in my opinion. Like, he kept falling for the same shots, like the double jab, the double jab, or the double or the or the one jab, faint another jab, look down his body, throw a right hand over the top. It worked like a charm every single time I threw it, even if it didn't land perfect it still kind of got, it got something. The first one was like, it instantly, once the punch landed, once the right hand landed, he had the mouse on his eye turned into a rat immediately. Like, boom. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it swelled up like a balloon. So I was like, okay. And then 
even though I didn't feel great, like super great. And I remember in the first two or three rounds, like, damn, man, I feel, I don't feel that good, but I can beat him easily. Like I felt like it was just, it was not going to be hard. And maybe I could kind of, you know, beat him down and maybe end up stopping him. You know, and I started to think that because those shots were landing so hard. And, but he just kept coming back. And I'm like, damn. I'm like, yo, I'm hitting this dude with some shots, and he just wouldn't give up. He wouldn't back off. He wouldn't. I mean, he would back off, but he wouldn't back off for long enough time for me to just say, okay, well, I got this dude. He's gonna be on the end of my punches now, for the rest of the night. But he he kept trying. He kept trying. He kept throwing shots here and throwing shots there. He kept challenging, and it was fine. And eventually, I felt like eventually I was gonna get to a point where I'm just gonna be able to get inside, push him around, and walk him down and dominate him. And I remember there was, uh, I want to say, a time in the fourth the fourth round where I remember I did this, uh, one of my favorite things I've seen in my highlights where I did this, like, James Tony shoulder roll kind of block and, and return the right hand, landed perfect. And I still don't know how this dude took that shot and just kept coming. I was like, damn. It didn't necessarily, like, make me, like, oh, man, he's still there. Like that like that still vi- that, that, that video of uh, when, Can- when Canelo hit Triple G. With that big right hand, and Triple G didn't even blink, and he kept walking him down. And you seen Canelo's face, kind of like, "Damn, this dude just won't stay off." Well, it wasn't that I had that because I was kind of used to it, because I'm used to hitting these big giant dudes and them being able to take the shots and keep coming back. So it didn't really bother me, but it's just like, okay, well, I just got to keep doing it. And you know, the fourth round and the fifth round, I'm feeling like I'm winning these rounds all of them, to be honest. Maybe I didn't win every one of the first six. But I did feel like I won five of them at least. Now, but we get to the sixth and going, I think the sixth round, then going into the seventh. And I remember there was a part of the seventh round that where he threw a punch and I caught it. And it felt like his arm just laid on my my body, on my shoulder or something. And I just kind of pushed him back. And just, I was like, oh yeah, I got it. I got it. I really felt like at that point, like he was giving up. Like he he started to really feel like this dude's just like I can't do nothing with this guy. You know what I mean? Like I, I he keeps hitting me with these big ass right hands, and I can't seem to get away from it. And if he's gonna be this energized the rest of the fight, I don't really think he just you could just feel almost I don't want to say giving up, but you could feel it kind of coming down a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So as that happened, I'm like, yeah, I got it. Oh yeah, I got it. And then as soon as he did that and I started to try to muscle up some something to come back with and I'm feeling good about it, I threw my shot and I felt like I had no more, nothing in my, like nothing. Like I tried to throw a punch and I tried to throw it with some conviction and nothing. And I was like, oh shit, man. Like <laughs> why now? You know what I mean? Like why now do I feel now my body's, giving up on it was kind of like when we talked about that fight with Robert Hawkins I was like damn I had I couldn't barely lift my arms at the end and I'm in the seventh round of this major fight this big opportunity where the next fight would have been Vladimir Klitschko would have been undefeated feet of playing Vladimir I'd probably got like five million I would have had an opportunity for five million dollars or I could have just took this Pavekin win and just went on ahead and kept fighting other guys you know I could have done whatever I would have been able to do whatever I wanted to do at that point here I am in this fight, feel like I got this guy where I want him, and I have not an ounce of energy left to put into my punching. 
And I'm sitting there like, what the hell am I going to do? How am I going to fake my way through the rest of this fight and win? And thing was, you got to think about it too. We're in Germany. I was probably already five rounds down, even though I thought I was felt like I was five rounds up. You know what I'm saying? And I was actually right on one of the cards, but it was like, damn, what the hell can I do? And I remember going back to the corner and I remember Buddy McGirt saying something like he was saying, hey, man, look, even if you ain't got nothing on your punches, man, just throw them things straight down the middle. Let them go. No matter what, at least you're being active, even if it does, even if it's not landing real heavy and, you know, whatever, just, you know, just being active. Keep my hands on him. Keep the jab in his face. And I'm hearing it, and I'm like, all right, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to try that. And I'm thinking about going to try. And, but knowing me and how I am, especially at that point, I'm an accurate guy who doesn't waste opportunities. And that's just something that's I've, it's been that way for my entire career. I never wasted punches. So it's like when I go in there, I can't necessarily just fling out four or five easy little pity pat crap shots i gotta throw shots that mean something that look like something i've been fighting with this pro style even since as an amateur so it's really difficult for me to do it so they're telling me this and i'm trying it and i'm doing it, but it's just not working i'm still looking for that perfect shot and looking for those big shots that i was landing earlier and it's just like there's no energy though there's no it's, it's not perfect anymore so even though most people looked at me it's like yo man you just look like you took money or something like them dudes paid you off because you just stopped throwing punches. It's like, nah, man, I just couldn't muster up anything worth throwing. So at the time I'm thinking, well, what's the point in throwing it? You know what I mean? And I just started to, you know, every round I slowly just, you know, you're still thinking at that point when it first happened, that I'm, I'll be all right. Let me just get a rest after this round. and I'll come back in and I'll be better. And it just never came. The energy never came back. So I remember, Going into the to the to the um, you know, to the, we went to the scorecards. I already knew what the what was gonna happen, even though I felt felt like I won the first five, maybe six rounds. You know, they they there was super wide scores. One was like 119, 109. One was 117, 111. I think 116, 112 was the other, if I'm not mistaken. And it's like they were all too wide. You know, one was eight four. One was uh what uh what was it nine three. The other was, uh, was what, 12, uh, 10, 11 to 1 round. So, I mean, it was a ridiculous thing. You already knew. I already knew I was facing that. So the thing was that we were going to go out, have to go in here and, and dominate this guy or knock him out. You know what I mean? But at the same time, I couldn't complain so much because the idea of it was, look, there was no way that we were going to win a decision unless we basically killed the guy or, you know, beat him half to death and then walk out. And then we, we may get a draw. That's how we felt. But me going in there not throwing any punches in the second half of the fight, basically the last six to seven rounds, or well, I say six rounds, six to five to six rounds, it wasn't going to get me to a decision. So we knew, so with the way the fight was going, we didn't expect to win the decision. And and if you go back to the broadcast and you listen to my dad and some of the stuff he said after the fight, most people really loved to, loved to, to joke with me about that. But the reality of it is he was kind of right about it. I mean, not every not every part of it, but he was but he was really what the issue was. We just didn't get to camp on time. You know what I mean? And whether that was it wasn't his fault. He was already harping like, yo, we got to train. We got to get there. That's all he was thinking about anyway was the was the fight part. He wasn't thinking about the business. He was just thinking about being in shape and being ready. 
So his thought process was we were definitely in camp way too late. But what caused us, what obviously what caused this whole big issue was obviously not taking this thing. I don't want to say it wasn't taken serious because it was definitely taken serious, but not taking it serious enough. When you, when it's time to get in shape and get right for a fight. Now, for all those other fights that we talked about, you know, I was in top shape for as good as I could have possibly been in. And then I get to the biggest fight up to to that up to up to this point of my career, and choose that fight for whatever reason. I'm not saying it was my fault. I'm not saying it was anybody's fault in particular. But we chose that fight to kind of skim on. And clearly, you can see if you watch the fight, I was, a, I was, a, I was a class above him at that time. There was no, there's no doubt about it. You know what I mean? He was, he was being outclassed in the fight. Had I been in camp for eight weeks, we wouldn't even be having this conversation like this anyway. We'd be talking about something else <laughs> in, in reference to how I beat him or how he quit on the stool because we did, we, we also got information from his some people who was working in his corner that they were, you know, thinking about that, you know what I mean? Because he was taking serious damage and it just kept coming and kept coming. And they didn't, you know, they were getting to a point where they didn't really know what to do and they wanted to keep their fighter healthy and not get him to, you know, not get him hurt. So they were thinking that this is going to be going on for 12 rounds. <laughs> we're going to pull this guy out of the fight. So this is what we heard. But sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth round, obviously, they realized that that wasn't going to be necessary. And he just started doing what they call the hometown hustle and just kept throwing punches and stayed on and let, let the punches go. He knew there wasn't nothing coming back. And boom, we get the, you know, we lose the decision. But anytime, this lesson, the, the lesson I learned in this fight is, you never take anything for granted. If you can't get to where you need to go, if you can't, if you can't get the perfect quote-unquote situation, if you can't, you got to make do for what you have. If you're in at home or you, and you can't get your flight to your camp and you know you can't, you only got six weeks to train, you better spend however long you're going to be home properly preparing. I mean, you got to call some of your closest sparring partner buddies or whatever. Get them in camp with you. Know guys that you know ain't going ain't going to scam. They're going to really work. They're going to make you work. Prepare you no matter who you're fighting. Even if you're fighting a southpaw, get the best guys you can get in. That even if they're not a southpaw, because you need to train. You need to properly be prepared. That's what you're doing. That's what you're here for. That's what you're there for. You know what I'm saying? You go into the camp for those eight weeks to train properly to get ready to 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 do what's necessary to win the fight. You know they say train hard, fight easy. Well, in this situation, we tried to train home. We didn't have enough time. So what happened? The fight was hard. The fight was harder than it needed to be. Needed to be. You know what I mean? I had what it took to win that fight hands down easily. But because I wasn't prepared like I needed to be, and that's not been my MO my entire career. It may have looked like I wasn't in shape in a lot of these fights, but I had always been in the best shape possible with the exception of this one fight. You can look at all the rest of the fights I've had in my my entire career, and this one fight is is the one fight that I wasn't where I needed to be, and it probably would have been turned, it probably would have turned everything on its head in my career. Maybe I would have been, maybe I would have won a couple a uh, couple of titles. Who knows? Maybe I would have beat Vladimir at that point. I doubt it because I didn't. I don't think I had the proper uh, the proper situation in the corner to have it, the information and what was necessary to beat him. But hey, you never know. I want to ask you just, just, 
Mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you a couple of questions, Eddie. Obviously, um, you know, the preparation side you mentioned wasn't ideal. You were in the ring about 11 weeks earlier, um, you know, fighting Calvin Brock, and that was pushed back, of course. It, it should have been earlier. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, obviously that wasn't to do with Povetkin's team. They didn't want to postpone right. it any further. It's an unfortunate right. situation. But what was your... Right. I, w- I want to ask a couple of questions here. I'll start with this one. Um... So you mentioned that you felt you probably nicked the first five rounds of the six at the midway point. Well, maybe maybe he won maybe the first round, maybe because it was close because I landed a huge right hand, which was the first one. I landed in that round, and the round was kind of going back and forth a little bit up to that point, and I felt like I could have won that round, but they probably gave it to him, which they gave him almost every other round. But... Yeah, definitely five out of the six. Definitely five out of the six was mine, so, in my in 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 my humble opinion. So, what is your final scorecard, in your humble opinion? If 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 he gets one of those first first, first six rounds, the scorecard is one fifteen, one thirteen. Him. Okay. That's and that's what, and and that's what his, and this is exactly I'm telling you straight up, his newspaper and this is the thing that happens sometimes when you lose i mean you start trying to look for like a silver lining you want to see that oh you know something good came of this like maybe somebody saw something you know even though it's a loss maybe it's a good loss even though i don't feel like it was any loss to me and in this situation when you got to be a undefeated guy no losses are good but his newspaper the, well the newspaper there the people that was supposed to be supporting him which you know they do, but they said they were like, you know, they were uh, they were like what they were disappointed in uh, in Povetkin's performance. Not so much disappointed in the performance. They were more, it was more that they weren't so, they weren't so disappointed in him as that they were impressed by what I was able to do to him. And in a sense, like you let you let this you're supposed to be this god over here. You know what I mean? You're you Olympic champion. Um, you done this. You've been you know you basically won every fight in your amateur career. You come into the pros, you beat Chris Bird, you do all of these great things, and you let this 25-year-old, because I was 25 at the time, you let this 25-year-old kid come in here and school you. And I, I, it wasn't necessarily, I, those were the exact words, but to that effect, that's what it sounded like. They let this kid come in here and outclass you. This is what was said in their paper. So it was kind of like, damn, you know what I mean? It makes me feel bad for him. And he won, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But at the same time, it was like, you know, I, I, opportunities like that don't come every day. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it's great that we, you know, that people thought of me like that. They, damn, you're, you know, you're a really good fighter. And But, you know, this is what happens. Even even Max Kellerman comes into the dressing room after the fight, man. And it was like, man, I, you know, I told you, man, you know, drop down to that cruiser. You go down the cruiser. You're dominating these fights. There's nobody down there. I'm telling you, you go to Cruiser, you'd be you'd be world champion right now. And and he was saying, he said he was saying, I mean, you could say a lot of people say, oh, it was only he was only 227. He said, but look at your size, look at your weight. You're not even supposed to be as big as you are right now. You drop down a cruiser weight, you're you're dominating everybody. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking in my head, like I've been trying to tell these guys that <laughs> for my whole my whole career since I've been up there talking to them about it, and they never wanted to hear it. None of my team wanted to hear the fact that I need to drop the cruiserweight, win a title there, or try to win a title there, then move up to heavyweight later. They didn't want to hear it. All they wanted was that heavyweight. They really wanted that heavyweight money. 
that's what they were thinking about. And don't get me, we were we were almost there to that point, but <laughs> got a little uh, setback. And obviously after this, Povetkin, you know, a couple years later, whenever it was, a few years later, he would end up popping for, for, for Peds. Back then, yeah. do you <laughs> feel like he was on the juice, Eddie? To be honest with you, if he was on something, it wasn't for, it wasn't for his, you know, like obviously for aesthetics. It didn't, lo- it didn't look like it was, like he was on something at the time I fought. Yeah. But... You know they got these different ones. You know these ones that are, you know, for con- for conditioning. Like you know, they, they 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 your lung capacity is increased. You know, your ability to throw punches for or whatever uh, for a longer period is enhanced. That could have been something. But I saw him in the ring, and he fought somebody and knocked him out. And I looked at his body, and I was like, I know who you're talking stuff. about. You're talking about when he yeah. knocked out. Um... Oh man, Cuban. Oh, wait. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Um, um, Mike Perez. There you go. Mike Perez. He, he knocked out Mike Perez. Perez. Like, oh, he's yeah. He destroyed him. And it, it's like I looked at him. I was like, oh yeah, he's definitely on on the juice right now. He's on that juice. He's on that real juice because his body was not like that. Look at his fight with me. Look at his fight with me. Now, I'm not saying that he wasn't on something with me. Maybe he had just started or maybe not. Maybe he wasn't at all. But look at his fight with me. Look at his fight with Mike Perez. Look at his body. Yeah. His He had he always had that little bit of extra around his, around his waist. He wasn't straight, flat stomach, big shoulders and chest. Never. Never. Not until he started taking that shit. Then, when get in that, then what happened? Boom, he gets popped for PEDs. I told you, man. Listen, man. These look. I fought guys, and I don't want to name names, but I fought guys that had six packs on a big on a stomach, on a big belly. <laughs> if you got a six pack on top of a big stomach, what does that mean? That means you putting some extra stuff into your body. That's what it. That's what it means. And I've seen it. I ain't gonna say no names because I ain't trying to put nobody out there, you know. But the reality of it is, I fought maybe I don't know how many guys. That I probably fought and they probably was taking stuff. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't, don't want to say I guarantee. I know I can guarantee you at least, especially in the elite level. I don't fought many guys who took it. <laughs> Shit. In fact, most of the guys I fought probably took it. And, and so not only, huh? No, I just want to ask you this as well, Eddie. I just want to jump in there and say, obviously, um, you know, we're coming to the end here. Um, yes. You know, we've discussed Povetkin. Povetkin. You know, even in this day and age, in 2020, is still one of the true elite fighters in the heavyweight division. In, in the heavyweight division, we saw him last time out. Um, a controversial draw against Michael Hunter. Many felt Hunter deserved uh, to, to to get the you know his arm raised. He takes on Dillian White in just a couple weeks from now, something like that. Um, how do you see that fight unfolding there? With Dillian White? Yes, sir. You know, I like Dillian. I mean, I like him as in, as a person as well. He's a real cool, real cool guy. I met him in camp with Tyson when we first met. But um, you know, it, it my thing always was with Dillian. I liked him bend his knees a little more because he has athleticism. He's strong. Got a big punch. Yeah, he got, he got a big, a pretty good punch at night. Well, he's he's a powerful guy. You know what I mean? He, he's sort of tall. He's about similar in height to to Pavekin, maybe a little taller. Um, and he has he has developed 
boxing ability, like really, really developed, and he's getting better. Hang on a so minute. I mean, you know, he isn't huh? Povetkin's about what's he six one? No, no, he's well, he he no, he was supposed to, well, they said he was six three when I fought him, oh. but he's about six two maybe. And then some change. Yeah. Probably not quite six three. I think off the he's, top of my head, I think Dilly is Dillian six four, I think. They said either six three or six four Dillian is, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so he so he got a, you know, he, and he's and he's got a little length on him obviously. It's just I don't like how how tall he stands. He stands a little bit too tall, too long. And if you look at some of the fights that he fought guys in, he get he get caught a little late in fights, like with the fight with um uh, I want to say he's the Colombian guy. What's his name? God dang. I, they was even trying to schedule up. Oscar, Oscar Rivas. He got caught messing around, but he's he's up in the air. You know what I mean? Even with even with Anthony Joshua. Up in the air a lot. Knees locked out trying to you, you, look. Anthony Joshua was 6'6". Six, six. Let him be 6'6". Six, six. You know what I mean? You get on, you bend your knees, and you, he landed a couple. He landed some good shots. He actually buzzed Anthony Joshua in that fight. If he could have just been a little more sturdy, on his legs, not been so high and so giddy on on his feet, he would have he would he could have he could have won that. He could he would have had a better shot. He would have had a better shot. Than you know what I'm saying? And I'm looking at him in a lot of these fights, even with Chisora and things like that. And these guys are just lower than him. Now, of course, if you're taller, you're taller. That's just the way it is. But you still can be in a, like look at Vladimir. A lot of people don't know this about Vladimir. Vladimir bends. You know what I mean? He gets into a nice bent position. He's not standing, knees locked, straight up in the air with his head up in the air. Even though his head is kind of high, but that's just his height. But he's 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 using that extended arm, knees bent, and he's moving using decent footwork. That would be my only gripe with Dillian. If he's gonna fight Pavekin and he's gonna win, I mean he's he's younger, he's fresher, he should be able to go out and win this fight. He has enough punch of power and boxing ability to do it. But if he goes out here, head up in the air, going straight back, he'll get caught. He, he can get caught with something. And if Pavekin is on his game. Ain't getting old overnight. There's a good chance that you know he can maybe catch you, or not even just catch you. Maybe he can outwork you because he has that ability to do that. So you got to make sure that you're on at your best and doing everything possible to to leaving no stones unturned to make sure that you had you, you get this fight, you get this win under your belt because you need it. This is a this is a huge opportunity for him. So who you got winning it? I got that. I'm going to take Dylan. I think Povekin at this point, man, he's he's class. And, you know, maybe in his prime, you know, he wins, you know, against Dillian. But at this stage in his career, I I, I can't go against Dillian in this fight. I'm, I'm Just bend his fucking knees a little bit and box at left range and not allow this guy to, to you know, over outwork you, catch you with something stupid. You should be good. You know what I mean? Just win the fight. Win the fight if you ain't got, if you, if they're not gonna look good that's okay fine that, that's okay it doesn't matter win the fight look good next fight you know what I mean just win that's the idea points yeah I say points yeah. definitely say points yeah I think I'm in in agreement with you there but um yeah that brings this edition of the Eddie Chambers lockdown knockdown to a close um we've like I say tried to do this as often as possible it's been um it's been very different you know because 
<laughs> it seems like a long time ago now where we do the review part, then bring in one guest, then do the preview part, then bring in the second guest with the news in the middle. Um, you know, yeah. during this whole thing, uh, this this I believe is the 18th podcast in a row where we've had a different world champion on 18 different world champions in 18 weeks and you know we've only had one interview per show and of course as much as possible we've we've had Eddie on speaking about you know these these in-depth moments of his career and we're going to try to do this you know hopefully every week now to get for it because the big fights are coming back slowly but surely in the boxing world in 2020 but thanks once again Eddie um, you know going into detail about such a big fight there all the ins and outs that people don't know and um, it's something new it's something new to listen to you know there's a lot of my um, competitor podcasts out there and I know for a fact they are not they're not supplying, um, you know, a segment on their show that's as good or as interesting as yours. No doubt, man. I appreciate it, man. I'm happy to do it. You know, this is this is an opportunity to, you know, put my story on the front street so people can really can really see. I mean, if you know, if they're interested, obviously, um, and see in general, you know, with boxing because boxing is a really really crazy sport. There's a lot of dirt, but there's a lot of good that's in the sport too. So. You know, maybe through my story, they can kind of get an extra, uh, a more in-depth glimpse of what it's like in the, you know, in the career and the mind of a fighter. Absolutely. Well said. Well, that brings all the talking to a close. The final thing to do now is to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast, the two-time WBC super middleweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. David Benavidez. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the reigning and two-time WBC super middleweight world champion. It is, of course, Mr. David Benavidez. David, welcome back on the show, my friend. How you doing, brother? Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure speaking with you, David. So uh, we last spoke back in August of last year, so it's been it's been a while. Uh, in that time, of course, you've only had the one fight, which was that win over Anthony Durrell. You become the first man to stop him. Uh, you know, the Durrell brothers as a whole, sometimes they're targeted by boxing critics for having no heart. But Anthony showed a lot of heart that night back in September. Just give me a couple words on that win there, obviously being your most recent win. You know, it was a great win, you know what I mean? Um, I feel like I did something that nobody else has done, you know, especially with with the fighter that's fought, you know, a lot of great fighters. You know, he's fought Badu, Jack, you know, um, he's fought a lot of great fighters, you know. So for me to be able to stop him, you know, it was a, it was a big accomplishment, you know, in, in, in my career, you know. And not only that, stopping him and winning a world title and doing so, you know. So it was, it was a great victory for me, you know, and I feel, uh, you know, um, you know, I feel amazing. You know, I'm just ready to get to the next one. And tell me, David, what has lockdown life been like for you? What has kept you busy during this tough time for everyone? You know, honestly, um, it's, everything has, you know, kind of been, you know, regular to me. Everything's kind of really been the same. The only thing that's been taken out of my life, you know, has been, just, you know, just uh, eating at restaurants and, you know, me going to the movies on the weekends. But, you know, other than that, you know, everything, you know, really kind of stayed the same. You know, me going to the gym. Well, my dad has a gym, too, uh, my gym, our, our gym. So, we you know, we kind of have our little private sessions here, going to run in the morning and then starting the day over the next day, you know. So, nothing has really changed. Um, but, you know, we still got this work in, you know, kept training and preparing for the next fight. And talking of your next fight, it's been penciled in for uh, for August 15th against Roma Alexis Angulo. Um, do you know much about your opponent here, David? 
Yeah, you know, I've been watching him a little bit. I feel like, you know, he's a little bit on um, people that have fought him have underestimated him because there hasn't really been too much film on him. You know, he's fought, you know, he's had some good fights. Obviously, he has punching power. You know, he had a good fight with uh, Gilberto Ramirez, and then he had a great win with, with Anthony Sims Jr. Um, I But I feel like, you know, I'm not overlooking this guy at all, and I, I know exactly what he brings to the table. He's a strong guy, and he's really crafty, too. You know, so I'm, I know exactly what I'm walking into with this guy, you know, so I have to be very careful, you know, I have to be, um, not to give him the respect he deserves, you know, but I feel like it's going to be an amazing fight. It's going to be a great fight. You know, he's looking, he's looking to beat me. I'm looking to defend my title, you know, and at the end of the day, which, what that's going to result in is a great fight for the fans. And I can't wait for it. Um, Eddie Hearn has obviously made his return to boxing, promoting on the weekend, just gone. And of course, he's trying to bring back the best schedule in boxing. But when PBC announced their upcoming schedule, he tried to basically downplay the fights. And he actually tried to act like Benavidez versus Angulo is a terrible fight, which is ironic because Angulo, as you said, just beat Eddie Hearn's prospect, Anthony Sims Jr. and took his O. Um, but yeah, that's that's another story, I suppose. Let's keep it positive um yeah. angulo can punch obviously you mentioned he's he's got some good wins but that standout fight obviously was his loss to gilberto ramirez on points i know the way you are i know what kind of fighter you are you'll be hoping to make a statement and probably get a stoppage in this fight am i right in saying that david yeah exactly that's what i'm looking to do you know it's kind of always my game plan you know i don't rush the knockouts so i don't try to rush the stoppages you know i just try to do everything correct and that comes on its own you know um I feel like I'm the I'm the I'm the young champion in the game, 23 years old. So I kind of want to show these, you know, all these other old dogs, you know, that that I'm here and I'm here to stay, you know, and I'm gonna get them out of there, one way or another. And also, please help me understand the mandatory situation. Am I right in saying you've been ordered to defend the title against Avni Yildirim? But that situation seems quite confusing. Obviously, I think you've been allowed a voluntary here. What is actually happening? What actually happened with that is that I was supposed to fight Ildrum in, in April, you know, before everything got locked down. But he had got injured or something happened, and Romer Angulo stepped up to the plate, so the contract was already signed, you know what I mean? Before everything, before my fight got canceled in April, I was supposed to make a defense in Phoenix, Arizona. You know, so, um, you know, the dude was already hurt or whatever would happen, whatever his situation was. So, you know, the contract was already signed with this guy, you know. So, I mean, I feel like I have to fulfill you know, um, you know, the contract and, you know, I have to, you know, I have to go about the contract and give this guy the opportunity because the other guy was, he was hurt, you know, anyway. So that's, that's kind of the situation going on on that. You know, the contract was already signed, everything was ready to go, but the only thing that stopped it was, you know, um, the shutting down because of the COVID, you know what I mean? So, so I feel like, you know, we're going to get this fight with this guy, you know, he's probably, I think in my opinion, he's tougher than Ildrum, you know, he has more tricks than Ildrum. And then, you know, um, you know, go in there and defend my title and then get the, get the fight in with Ildrum. And being a WBC world champion, I want to get your take on, obviously, the WBC's idea to introduce this franchise champion thing. Are you for or against this? Um, you know, I wouldn't really say I'm against it, you know, but I don't really agree with it. Um, I feel like in the WBC, the only the biggest the biggest stars get the, the franchise because there's only has been two franchise champions. Am I right? I believe so. I think it's Lomachenko and Canelo. So, I mean, I, I mean, I don't really agree with it, you know, especially because other people that, you know, they barely just starting off or they barely becoming champions. They don't have, you know, they don't have a, as, as big as a name, 
as those two fighters, they've been there forever. You know, they, you know, I mean, uh, respects to them. But I feel like, you know, if a fighter earns a WBC title, you know, he should be respected and he should be, you know, crowned as champion. You know, I don't think another person should just come out of nowhere and just, you know, skip the whole line basically and just win this, you know, get a belt. You know, but um, you know, but that's you know that's beyond me. You know, I can't really control nothing that goes on in that situation. You know, my job is just to, you know, be the the champion at 168 you know, WBC, and then, you know, just continue uh, continue defending my title and winning fights. And talking of being a champion at 168, last time we spoke, the super middleweight division was in the same position. All four champions are still undefeated. Um, I've, uh, I'm guessing most Latinos would say you're the best. Most Brits would say uh, Billy Joe Saunders or Callum Smith may be the best. A lot of Americans would say Caleb Plant's the best. Um, out of all those guys, you'd like to fight Plant the most, I believe, out of all those guys. Yeah, the, I mean, the only reason I would like to fight Plant the most is because, you know, there's a little bit of bad blood going on there. But, you know, I feel like who I, who, who I would um, benefit fighting the most would be Colin Smith. You know, I feel like he has, what does he have, the Ring Magazine, the WBA, and the Diamond. You know what I mean? So I feel like I would win, I would gain the most fighting Colin Smith. But, you know, as of, you know, just just to get the fight out there, you know, just because of dislikes to one another is, you know, to be Caleb Plant. But, you know, but, I mean, all those fights, all those fights, you know, amazing fights. I feel like, you know, um, we have to get these fights going on soon, you know what I mean? There can't be four undefeated champions at 168. You know, we all have to face each other soon. Um, so, you know, um, I don't know how we're, we will do it because, you know, that it would be very unfortunate we'd have to fight one another without a crowd, you know, because I feel like these are great fights that, you know, the, the spectators would want to see or fight, fans would want to show up to. But if we're not able to, you know, fight with the crowd, then there's nothing we could do. But I feel like by next year we should, you know, while I have to face one of those champions, you know, um, I feel like I'm ready for it. And I feel like I could beat any of those fighters. So, you know, I feel like I want to take the chance and I want to take the opportunity to get in the ring with, with either of them. Yeah, I'd love to see those fights. And I believe you when you say you want them too. Um, we're still unsure on, obviously, what Canelo's going to be doing, who he's going to be fighting in September, if, if it indeed goes ahead. Um, who do you feel should get that shot, in your opinion, David? You know, I feel like, you know, just going back on Eddie Hearn, whatever he said, I feel like that's why he's a little more frustrated, you know, because they've been talking about, they've been talking about Canelo fighting for a while, you know what I mean? And it's, it's you know, it's just amazing that they haven't found an opponent yet, you know I mean? There's a lot of great fighters right there for him to pick, pick and choose from. Um, so, I mean, I really don't know what's going on in that situation. I mean, I feel like he has to, if he's going to be at 168, he has to face, you know, one of the champions at 68, I think Colin Smith, myself, Billy Joe Sanders, I mean, those are all great fights. I mean, I don't know why these, it's, there's a holdup. You know, there's there's more than enough, you know, opponents to pick from. So, I don't know, one of the champions at 168, maybe maybe somebody at 160 or another person at 175. I mean, there's a lot of good options from there. So, you know, I really don't know what's a holdup. But, you know, that's none of my business. You know, I just really try to stay in my lane and, you know, focus on what I got going on. And right now what I got going on is, you know, uh, Romar and Gulo on August 15th, and I'm just looking forward to that. Absolutely. And like I say, I hope you get through him and then you'll be in this lane and we'll be, you know, we'll be speaking about you and, you know, some of these bigger names. Um, just before we, we sign out, David, if you've got any closing words just to our listeners, of course, we haven't spoke for a while. I'm not sure if you've done many UK interviews or anything like that. If you've got any message to your fans over here, uh, take it away, my friend. 
Yeah, all the people have been following me. You know, I mean, I know I'm not that big of a household name in the UK, but all the people that do support me that I've met, you know, throughout the years, you know, they show me a lot of love. So, you know, um, I'm very honored and humbled to have fans, you know, from all the way over there, and especially since I'm from the U.S. So I can't, you know, I can't wait to get a fight over there. Maybe hopefully we could get a fight with Colin Smith, and I'd be, I would be more than willing to go to the UK and, you know, give that, give that fight, you know, after all this COVID situation is done. So. Again, I think I want to thank everybody and also thank you for taking this time out to give me this interview. It's absolutely always my pleasure, David, speaking with you. Believe me, I want to thank you for your time. I want to wish you the absolute best of luck for August 15th. I'll be supporting from my couch. And of course, if we don't speak... Um, if we don't speak, you know, in the in the couple weeks after the fight, I just want to say I hope everything goes well. Just for those that don't know, you've got a baby boy on the way. Have you got a name just yet, David, or not? Yeah, um, yeah. His name is going to be Anthony Moises Benavides. So I'm, uh, I'm very excited for that too. You know, I'm, um, feel like I'm getting in another chapter in my life, so I'm very motivated as well. So you know, um, thank you so much for for, for that. What you just said. God bless you, David. Speak soon, my friend. Okay. Have a nice day. Okay, and this wraps up episode 251 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. The former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Eddie Chambers, has been with me for the duration of the show. A big thank you to him. A massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the two-time reigning WBC super middleweight world champion, David Benavidez. The biggest thanks of all, though, of course, goes out to you, the listeners, for your continued support. One or two pieces of news have broken while we've been recording the show uh, on August 22nd at the bubble in the MGM Grand top ranker back promoting a show um, with an amazing headliner actually between former light heavyweight world champion Alida Alvarez and big punching Joe Smith Jr um, top rank have also announced that they've signed the undefeated Nigerian heavyweight prospect Effia Jagba who has parted ways with former promotional stable um, PBC and, and, and Al Heyman of course but that's about every Everything from me. Enjoy your weekends, people. Stay safe. Thank you for listening, and we shall see you all again next week.